This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hello, and welcome to another episode of OT3, where we deep dive into fandoms, lore, and fun fan drama. I'm your host, Ashley, and today's episode is going to be a deep dive into the best-selling gothic and Christian author, Anne Rice. She recently (laughs) passed away December 11th, 2021, at the age of 80. Love her, hate her. She is a writer who changed the game of vampires, which is in Christian literature. Uh, she's one of the reasons why people go to New Orleans on vampire tours, and also the reason why fan fiction authors went underground in 2001. She was complicated, elegant, sensual, and a very philosophical lady. Uh, I am joined today by my co-host, Steffi. Hello. Steffi, what do you know about Anne Rice? I know that fan fiction writers hate her very much, and we're kind of celebrating her death. And then started posting fan fiction like crazy. <laughs> That's really interesting. I mean, I'm ready for the fan fiction. It's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, 40 years. Uh, also with me is my other co-host, Sarah. Sarah, how do you know? How much do you know about uh, Anne Rice? I know more. Uh, I know very little, but I do know that she, the Catholic, the Catholic pipeline, Christian pipeline, where she found Jesus and then abandoned him. In a funny way. I don't know if she abandoned him, but like she was like, vampires are evil. I can never write this again. And then she fell off. And then she was like, wait, never mind. I like vampires again. And then she went back to vampire novels. So I know that about her. But uh, I and I also, of course, know the fan fiction thing. But mm-hmm. I, being the age that I am, was significantly less involved in that because Anne Rice wasn't a fandom I was in. Like that was my eldest sister's. And I bet if I asked Hannah about it, she'd have opinions on it. Mm hmm. Because, uh, oh, this is, I, we're already there. Sidebar from Sarah. I'm sorry, I'm in a mood oh, today. Already a sidebarring. <laughs> I, while I was at home for Easter, my sister Hannah, I was sitting next to her on the couch and she fucking opened AO3 on her phone. And I go, Hannah Weems, what the fuck is that? And she goes, nothing. And I go, no, 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 go back, go back. And she's like, well, there's just this author I really like. Oh, my God. Heaven forbid like, anyone open AO3 around Sarah Weems. <laughs> my sister's in fan fiction. Wasn't, what sister is the one that tattled on you that you were reading fan That one. Oh, my God. How the turntables. <laughs> yes. Well, and then I go, do you, and I said that to her as we're sitting on this couch. I go, do you remember when you got me in so much trouble for reading fan fiction? She goes, yeah, because I was reading fan fiction. I knew exactly what was up. And I go, I want you to know I didn't even know the dirty stuff existed. I was reading cute fluff pieces on MuggleNet.com and you fucking turned me in and you want to know what you did? You made me look them up. That is your fault. And so it's just me and her on this corner on fucking Easter Sunday. <laughs> Having this reckoning that's like, what, 10 years coming? Yeah, and she fucking, she reads uh, Hermione, of course. Uh, she would be the type. She All would right. be the type. All right, yeah. I, I would say, I will say that uh, a lot of the fan fiction in those early 2000s had like disclaimers like, Please don't sue me. I don't own any of this. I'm not making a profit. And it's a tradition that still goes on to this day with a lot of mm-hmm. especially older writers and being like, yeah, I don't own this. Please don't sue me. And a lot of newer writers like, oh, why are you guys doing that? We know it's not yours. You weren't like, there for the dark days. <laughs> you weren't there. When you they came after there. you. When Anne Rice's lawyers came after you. But it wasn't just Anne Rice. It was a few authors who mm-hmm. did that. Martin was one of them, too. And yep. J.K. Rowling did briefly, um, which is ironic because how big that shit is. Yeah. It's interesting about the IP and the protectiveness of IP. But now we have AO3 who protects authors as long as you don't make a profit out of it. Yeah. We are <laughs> also joined by our amazing TD, Jaren, who is back. Yay. 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 
It's me. Um, we realized when Darren was out that we needed him very, very much. So thank you, Darren, for being back. Hey, <laughs> did she notice that we were gone for two weeks? It's Darren's fault. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is not, it Darren's, was not fault. Darren's fault. I will say what was funny is... Darren is the backbone of us. <laughs> <That's what laughs> Darren, Darren keeps us together. But it was funny, though, because um, Darren, when he... He like he goes and looks things up on his phone when we're like talking, and I've always and he pipes in and be like, "Hey, hey, hey! I have a fact for you. I want you after we finish our podcast last week. Uh, the the our, the person who's helping us out, Mike. He's like, "Hey, Sarah, I want you to know you were wrong about this thing." And he didn't correct me during the podcast. Oh, he waited until afterwards. Wrong. Yeah. And so, we're like, no, correct her in the moment. I was so upset. So, uh, correction about um. What's you remember? His, it was the it was uh, so Antonio so Banderas' first, first film. Movie it was not one to... of his first films uh, mm-hmm. that he... he spoke English and he he had already known how to speak English. That was another film. So so sorry, I was wrong. I feel like that's also another theme of our podcast. Is like, oopsie, we were a little bit wrong. On I mean, that. We're just a bunch of fangirls having a good time. We're just time. fangirls. Yeah, we we if if you know that we are wrong, just please let us know. Um, we're fine with it. I... We know. We know we can't always be right. <laughs> There's a, a show on Rooster Teeth that I uh, used to run, uh, but our number one saying in there was, we're not professionals, it's very opinionated. <laughs> and I think that works for here, too. Wow, that's a really good line. Um, oh, that's great. Oh, Jaren, what do you know about Anne Rice? Vampires, and that's about it. Hell yeah. <laughs> I watched Blade over the weekend. So. <laughs> I know, ready. I know, Famously I know, written Yeah, by I know Anne she Rice. has nothing to do with that, but that's yeah, what that's I watched. that's a Marvel comic. Yeah. <laughs> Blade's pretty good. Blade's pretty good. Um, okay, so getting us back on track. So uh, just FYI for everybody out there, goths, not goths, fan fiction aficionados, uh, this is not an episode we're going to go full one way or the other on Anne Rice because she was complicated. So I don't think there is a was she good, was she bad. I think she was a lot of gray, but mm. she is fascinating and she made some really fascinating work. So we're just kind of going to go through some of that and kind of talk a little bit about all the the big things and uh, and then see where we go. Yeah. So um, I went through and tried to, so she wrote about 38 novels, some Ooh. under different pen names mm-hmm. um, from 1976 to 2022. Oh. Uh, the Reigns of Orisis did release, it was a book she was writing and it was a third of an installment called The Mummy, which is also a really good book. Um, wait, wait, pause. The Mummy? No, it's not the mummy that okay. the movie is made up of. So I was like, I swear to God, I'm going to... But go, she made, like, a, made a book called The Mummy, which is actually really good. Um, so basically, she wrote 38 novels, and I was kind of going through them because I've read a lot of them, but not all of them. And then I was also kind of looking up like her timeline and trying to like adjust to like what happened when in the writing... And as I was going through, I was really picking up on a lot of themes and a lot of like interesting bits about her. So uh, themes, big themes that we're going to talk about. Uh, big theme, sadomasochism. Right. She wrote <laughs> a lot of BDSM stuff. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, another theme is it's like it's almost like sadomasochism versus God, Jesus and redemption. <laughs> uh, the dark and the light. We're playing these. Pause. Did she read any of this while she was in her Christian phase? She wrote a lot of interesting stuff with Jesus. Okay, I'll well, be real I honest. I know we said we were going to be open to all fandoms. I did not think we were going to reach the Jesus fandom so quickly. 
Uh, it's, a, it's a big fandom. Yeah. One of the biggest, honestly. Maybe <laughs> longest Maybe running. oldest fandom. Oldest fandom in time. I mean, let's be I mean, real. I think that Judaism would maybe take the case. It, it, maybe, it, you know, the, the Gospels might have been the first fan fiction, if we really think about it. Mm. Dude, it, everything is fan fiction <laughs> at everything the end of the day. Everything is fan fiction. Um, and another one of her themes is uh, kind of to deal with immortality and what draws us to immortality. And in and, and that sense, like, immortal afterlife Versus a mortal human life as a vampire, or like vampire life. I wouldn't say human life. Although in The Mummy, she talks about like drinking from um, uh, basically the fountain of youth and you live forever as a human. So she, all of her books in some way deal with immortality, um, whether or not it's through Jesus, demons, vampirism, werewolves, mummies, Mostly that's what she's talking about. I have suddenly a theory that I'm just making up on the spot. Okay, go for it. Uh, I'm a little bit narcissistic. I know this about me. Y'all mm. know this about me. Uh, one thing I think about a lot is legacies. And I wonder if Anne Rice was that way too. And that's why she was so protective of her work. She didn't want it to be soiled by fan fiction because she wanted to protect her legacy. What it be after she died. That annoys me. <laughs> I think that legacy is built by what you've given to others and how they build off yeah, of it. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you think. It's about what she thinks. <laughs> That's Everyone, what I'm saying. I disagree with it. That's every, all I'm saying. Everyone has their own opinions, right? But yeah, I mean, there is the idea of like taking uh, fan fiction, uh, think like Twilight and all the stuff that's mm-hmm. come off of that or uh, Harry Potter um, versus Anne Rice. And there really isn't a lot of Anne Rice or, you know, Vampire Chronicle fan fiction out there yet. Maybe they're making them. There Maybe they're making them. Now. But um, you should check. But she also just wrote her own stuff and became massive off of that and still inspired vampire culture and all kinds of like witches. I mean, she has like a plethora of stuff in her resume. But uh, that's how you say that word? Plethora. I say plethora. Plethora? Plethora. Jaren. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we're like Jaren's back. We're using it. <laughs> give him a second. Okay. So, um, Jaren, you can get back to us whenever you want. Uh, uh, I just want to like, I know after she passed away, one of the first things I noticed was, was a lot of house fa- being on sale. That was the second thing I noticed. <laughs> uh, the first thing I noticed was how many fan fiction artists are going, he, 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 he can't stop me now, and posting screenshots of their uh, fan fiction on like uh, AO3 or something. And it's like, it, I'm pretty sure if you check now, there'll probably be a lot of uh, fan fiction for that. I am, it's so intriguing to me because like I've always heard about the Anne Rice like, fan fiction debacle, mm-hmm. but I remember being able to find it still. Yeah, it wasn't. You had to dig a little bit because I remember at Live Journey, you just had to go to the right group. She they was were usually locked. Pretty intense about it at a certain time, and then kind of loosened up. Yeah, over time. I mean, you can't can't be that typist forever. Yeah, you uh, want to hear how Google pronounces it? Yes, yeah. Right, please. I'm gonna push the button. Alone. Oh fuck! Hold on. Plethora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, plethora. Plethora. Sarah's right. That doesn't I said plethora. plethora. Yeah, plethora. plethora. Yeah, that's plethora. The, the, the British and American kind of sound the same, but plethora. Hello. Mark this down. Sarah was right. About how to pronounce something. <laughs> Who would have thunk? Okay. So getting back into Anne Rice. Sorry. And and feel free to like like interject at any time, unless it's not on subject, Sarah. Um so Anne Rice's real name. This is fascinating. I didn't know this until this Wait, moment. What? Anne Come Rice's on. real name. I didn't know. 
Howard Allen Francis O'Brien. Fuck off. That is amazing. <laughs> um, she was named after her grandfather. Yeah. Uh, and changed her name later on to Anne Rice. Uh, her husband was Stan Rice, so at one point it was Anne O'Brien. But and their song, "Son Long Rice." Fuck off! Oh my god! I'm sorry, that was bad. Yes. <laughs> uh, she was born October fourth, nineteen forty-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, she passed away December eleventh, two thousand twenty-one. Like I said, she was eighty years old. Um. She wrote gothic fiction, erotic fiction, and Christian literature. I just think it's great. You know what I mean? Like, just everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Her most popular works were The Vampire Chronicles with Interview with a Vampire and Queen of the Damned, Mm -hmm. which became movies. Um, She was born in New Orleans um, Mm -hmm. before she moved to Texas in her young adult life for college, and then later to San Francisco. And then she came back to New Orleans. Um, but one of the most interesting things was she grew up in a very Catholic family, but became agnostic as a young adult. Mm-hmm. And that's when she started writing Interview with a Vampire and then um, came back to Catholicisms in, I would say, it's kind of interesting. I'll, I'll go into detail because like you kind of see it coming back in her work, but they usually say about like early 2000s is about when she comes back to it. And then she kind of denounces Catholicism in 2010 and starts writing more Vampire Chronicles. Uh, any questions? I I get it. Like, once again, if you are obsessed about your legacy, you're probably going to be worried about your soul. And it may have, like, you know, when you grow up with that stuff, like, because once again, I, I also grew up, like, Catholic for a while, but then I dropped it in my in, when I was very, very young. But every once in a while, that little doubt comes in. But, uh, well, not for me, but for her, I'm sure that was the case. And maybe her husband had something to do with that, too. I, I don't know much beyond that. I mean, also, if you think about where the world was at in 2010, like, mm. it was, like, just coming off the, the 2008 recession. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of things that can make a- you turn to religion. And it's very... Yeah. It's comforting at times, so I, I get it. I want you to know, every once in a while, I'm like, because I myself am agnostic. Like, it's like, sure, something's out there. Do I know what it is? No. Do I particularly agree with organized religions? Not particularly. But because as Easter, I had to go uh, home because my little sister was getting um, confirmed slash baptized. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's a thing you can only do on Easter evening. Do both at the same time. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. No, or like there's three things. Like you can go and do all of them at the same time. One night of the year. That's the night before Easter. <laughs> and so my sister did it. And it was like everybody has always said that like Easter like mass is very moving and impressive and let and i was like okay well let, let me like go into this and see no not immediately impressive. immediately i was like not my thing it's still church it's still church and i it, mean the, the best part was we got to play with fire i was gonna say you know about vampires and mass there's a show called midnight mass there, there is an interesting <laughs> thing with vampires and, and the church. Yeah, yeah it, it's always been intertwined, and Anne Rice didn't stop that. It almost fed. I almost think it fed her mm-hmm. uh, interest oh, in vampires. Um, so interestingly enough, about Anne Rice's past. So when she grew up, she was in to Catholic. I mean, her family was in Catholicism. I think her mother died when she was very young, mm. and she went to mass a lot. And she really liked the iconic. You know, the iconography, I think is what you say, mm-hmm. and the ritualism and growing up in New Orleans, that's such a Catholic city, uh, French style. And um, 
then realized when she got older, uh, talked about kind of wanting to have sex and not liking the Catholic uh, way of thinking about things. So it went off to college and became agnostic, uh, conveniently, um, and kind of explored herself. Uh, she met her husband, Stan Rice, who is a huge atheist, poet, into lots of fun, crazy parties, having a great time in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. They have a daughter, and then her daughter dies Aww. in 1972 at the age of five from leukemia. Ugh. And in 1976, uh, Interview with a Vampire is released. So interesting about Interview with a Vampire, it was in rewrite for about two years. Um, what Anne Rice says is basically her daughter died and then she spent a few months being super depressed and then started writing and then had a draft of Interview with a Vampire Sent it out to a bunch of people, finally found an agent that would take it, and then they gave her a really awesome advance. A few years later, here we go. And it's a best-selling novel. Yeah. So yeah. kind of interestingly, like, death sparks this interest in immortality. Yeah. Right? It's and fascinating. And also, isn't there a character that is also really, really young in the book? So In the book book there is a young child about the age of six or seven claudia we talk about her who becomes an immortal child lots of interesting things now that you kind of think about how she was thinking what she was going through um she starts writing a couple other books we got the feast of all saints cry to heaven these are like european gothic novels they're lovely not going to go into them because we don't have that much time 1983 the claiming of sleeping beauty Oh, what do you guys know about this series? I don't know, but just the title of that, I get an idea. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to tell you guys, I got into Anne Rice and uh, when I was in, I want to say middle school, because they just had these books at the library and you could just like check them out. And it was like crazy, but they didn't have the claiming of Sleeping Beauty. You had to go to Barnes and Nobles for that shit. But they just let anybody come out there with... Some fucking rated X shit. Dude, it is. People don't talk about it enough. And I know that it's a thing that's currently happening on like the internet and like TikTok and where like the youth are becoming a little bit more self-aware. But like there is so much rules and restrictions around visual media and they try to put restrictions around novels, but it's always the wrong things they're putting restrictions around. (laughs) They're like, hey, how dare you talk about race? But this book that has like hardcore porn in it, yeah, sure, why not? It's like, what? <laughs> I think it's a mixture of a book getting popular and people just getting angry without any proper research, which yeah. seems like in most cases. But it's like, I I think, because there was a time when I was younger and I rented a book from the library and it was a vampire book. Do I remember what it was about? No. But was it the first time that like in a published novel, I read sex? Uh, my first one, middle school, it was mermaid sex. Mermaid sex. Wild. Who was that? Who was that? I don't remember. Give the deets, girl. I think it was called (laughs) Serena, but I'm not 100% sure. All right. If you know what she's talking about, you let me know because that sounds fascinating. I'm I'm sure there's a lot of mermaid sex books out there now. I don't know if it's the one I read. I just remember I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to read this. I'm gonna. Yeah, no, me too. I'm like, I have, I remember the cover so well. And so now I'm like going to go try and find it. But it was like, that was one of those things is I got that the library because in the teen section, because I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I just want to read more vampire books because it was like during the Twilight phrase. Yeah. And I read it and <clears throat> I was like, 
Oh, my God. Not all vampire novels are somewhat PG-13. <laughs> I was so <laughs> Some of them go full all the way, all the way, all the way. Um, so the claiming of Sleeping Beauty. BDSM. Uh, Ooh. It is a novel where the prince wakes Sleeping Beauty up by finding her and having sex with her, and then she's awake. Uh, then he takes her Wait, as a sex pause. slave. Okay. okay, well, I said pause <laughs> too soon. Never mind, continue. <laughs> I was about to hit you with my scrunchie if you didn't put your phone down. Oh, look at this book! Uh, I was at the ready. <laughs> I'm looking up this book and then we're so, fine. Um, basically, it is in this world where uh, princes and princes, kings and queens, uh, they go into sex slavery when they're princes mm. and princes to other people to teach them humility. So they. I know where they have all these princes and princesses, but there's a lot of sex slavery. She is at one. She's basically the princes in the not like in the old story of Sleeping Beauty. She's his sex slave, and he kind of like carries her around because she's beautiful. She's so beautiful, Sleeping Beauty. Oh my god, I don't know if I was ready for that, and I feel bad for all the friends I share that novel with. Sorry, Melissa. Because um, <laughs> there were times where it was just like knowing it's Melissa too much. It was too. <sighs> Much. It was like there was nipple clamps and like all kinds of weird use stuff going on and maybe slappy, we should put a hitty, warning in front of this one. All <laughs> Extra kinds warning. of stuff. Yeah. Um. Don't read the Clinton Sleeping Beauty. You don't want to. It is fascinating. It is BDSM in the most raw part part, and it is crazy. But think about like Anne Rice will later write a Jesus novel, but she's writing some crazy BDSM shit right here. That's 1983. Uh, 1984, Beauty's Punishment, part two. Uh, gets sold to a captain on a sea nave, like a, like a vessel. How does she go back to be a queen after this? Like, how, what is the, like, how do these people not, like... It's, I mean, it's just fantasy. I mean, I, I yeah, don't I guess. We're I'm not just really... trying to think of the logistics here, and they don't make there sense. Was, there was a lot of things in that novel that probably would have been not possible for human beings to endure. That's um, that's kind of what I'm telling you. I hate that I <laughs> am so intrigued that I will probably read this. <laughs> I am the exact opposite. I know, Steffi. We're different people. And yes, we are. In 1985, <laughs> she writes Exit to Eden, which is another BDSM novel, but this is not Sleeping Beauty. This is set in modern times. It's a little bit less cray-cray. Um, kind of fun, small novel. Uh, it's about a, a dominatrix, basically, and her mm. slave, not the other way around. And then Beauty's release is in uh, 1985. Um, she's sold to some other prince. The, the two princes like each other, funny enough. Uh, at some point, she gets released and ends up with one of them. I can't remember which one. Okay, right? That's hey, 1985. The log- the, sounds like the logistics are covered. So <laughs> I'm down That's now. what you're caring about, the logistics of it all. It was wild, y'all. <laughs> it was wild. I should not have been reading those books at that time. But you know what? You get, you know, you see things then at certain aware. times. Mm-hmm. Um, 1985, The Vampire Lestat, which we talked about mm-hmm. the last time, um, which is really fun. It is a, uh, basically a, this is what I thought what happened, uh, to interview with a vampire, which is about Louis. So Louis, Brody, Lestat's bratty. Um, Lestat becomes Anne Rice's, like, hero. She even talks about him later on being like, like, he is the hero of my series. Mm. I adore him. 
Um, in some ways, she, he, he experiences things that Anne Rice is going through is kind of how I see it. Um, and all his trials and tribulations and becoming the hero and, and, and being the rock star. Like, hey, I'm a rock star now. I'm a rock star vampire. And then going, getting beat down and going, oh, okay, maybe it wasn't great to be a rock star. Maybe I should feel bad about it. But I don't. Why do I feel bad about like uh, why do I feel bad for not feeling bad? Um, there's a lot of philosoph- like philosophical conversations happening about not feeling bad about being a monster. So you said oh, was it Lestat becomes a rock star, right? Yes. Is there a book where he gets angry and tries to sue people who make covers of his songs? Uh, he's only a rock star for about one album. He only has one concert. Isn't that funny? Then yeah. does he have a good time and then he has to fall off the face of the earth? Well, he gets kidnapped by Akasha, who's the queen of the damned, and then never comes back to music. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Does he also then become a sex slave? Like, bring it full circle. Well, she does. Okay. Uh, yeah. In uh, oh, Queen of the Damned, 1988, uh, <laughs> Kasha does abduct Elastat from his concert and takes him to be a consort. He is kind of unwilling, but does kind of go for it. And Akasha's thing is she wants to uh, rule the world, um, but she's 6,000 years old and has 6,000 years old mentality, which is like, we just take. We take things that we want. Uh, I'm a queen. I take things. And he's like, eh, it's a little different now. We have democracy. Um, but she is basically of the opinion that we need to kill. So her thing is kill 90% of all human men, only keep 10% alive to populate the world because women have been uh, unjustly uh, put down for too long. So uh, Anne Rice said feminist? I'm not no, no, this against is Ak- this. Ak- Ak- Akasha does fail in the end, but this is Akasha's goal, the queen of the damned. Anne Rice said feminist. <laughs> I mean, I think I think she is. I mean, I, I don't think you can write that plot and it not be. Saying, you might have a point. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Mahara no comes offense, back. Jaren. And uh, <laughs> yeah, be, wait a second. <laughs> you, you got a one in ten chance. <laughs> we I know. voted to keep you around. <laughs> yeah, can I just be? You know, can I just hang we out? We need somebody <laughs> to run our streets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, so that's 1985, and then 1980, oh, 1988's Queen of the Damned, and then 1989, The Mummy or Ramsey the Damned is actually a really good one. It's about the Fountain of Youth. I actually really love this novel, and I did not know that she actually came out with uh, sequels to it till very recently. Um, 1990, The Witching Hour, which is about uh, basically her vampires and her witches exist in the same universe. And so one of the so Akasha is the oldest vampire, but the redheaded twin vampires who also helped create vampirism, they started a line of witches that end up being the Mayfair witches. And so and they also subside in New Orleans. So the you're introduced to them. I'll be real honest. I have not read all of the witch like the the witching chronicles or the, the witching hour books. So please do not. I will try not to butcher them. Um, then we have, uh, the tale of the body thief in 1992. So why am I bringing this one up is because in this one, uh, after the queen of the damned, you know, the vampires came together, they became a little coven, they defeated Akasha, um, happy, happy, happy. Uh, then everybody kind of wanders off. Nobody wants to hang out with Lestat no more. He is lonely. The only person that will hang out with him is David, (laughs) who's like a 70-year-old librarian, and Lestat wants to make him a vampire, but David says no because he's old. Anyway, in this book, uh, Lestat tries to become human again by switching bodies with uh, a body thief. 
and uh, it's a scam, obviously. And in the end, none of his vampire friends will help him once he's a human get his body back. Marius is really mad at him for even allowing this. And then Louis is mad because he thinks Lestat, one, should be happy he's human again. And then two, is really mad about the vampire Lestat novel and that he said some shit that didn't happen. <laughs> He's like, you stay a human, you dick. Oh, my God. Um, anyways, um, in the end, uh, Lestat, there's like a scene on a cruise ship where he gets his body back, and then uh, David somehow gets the young hot body, and then they turn him into a vampire. Whatever. The weird thing is, in the end of this, Lestat is kind of, he's actually happy again, because he's like, fuck it, I'm a vampire, I'm really happy I'm a vampire, I'm kind of a shit, because I kill innocent people, but I'm happy being this way. But also, I'm kind of a dick. So like he, he's he's going back and forth, and you can kind of see it in her yeah. writing where it's like, is he like, fuck it, I want to be a vampire. I'm mm-hmm. great, or like, should I feel bad? Should I feel bad? I'm a vampire, and I, I kind of still think that she's kind of experiencing things through Lestat and being like, is this the right way to be? I think it's so interesting. Like, I I wish. As someone who loves reading as much as I do, I feel like I need to become more aware of more authors and their lives because generally there's usually parallels mm-hmm. and it's so intriguing to see lives and people figuring out their lives off of books because it's like therapeutic of mm-hmm. sorts. See, the thing is, once I go down that rabbit hole, I actually usually, I don't know why this happens, but I stop reading their work. Because I go down rabbit holes about their lives and I start reading biographies about them. I did the same thing with like an, this really old poet called uh, Robert Browning and his wife, Elizabeth Bar- Barrett Browning. Both amazing poets. But as soon as I found out about their wild fucking life, I was like, I stopped reading their works and just cared about like biographies on them. That's so, like mine is, I, I've never like deep, deep dived, but I've like, kind of like, and I hate to sound like a like millennial in this sense, but John Green. <laughs> Um, he. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> John Green. Funny, yeah. No, no. John Green. It's he's been very open about his life and his struggles, mm-hmm. and especially like the meaning of his books and what they are to him. And um, the biggest ones being, I would say, Looking for Alaska and Turtles All the Way Down, because like Looking for Alaska is based off of his experiences at a boarding school and like kind of some stuff that he went through there and how he dealt with it. And then uh, Turtles All the Way Down is about a young girl's struggle with OCD, which is something that he's been very vocal about his struggles with. And so it, I think it's so interesting to see, or like even Hank Green and um, mm-hmm. Absolutely Remarkable Things, which is truly a, uh, a I don't know the word for it, but like it's a representation, ret- retrospective outlook of um, social media and how it affects a person's lives and how you start living a life that is not your own, but you live it for someone else. And then you become so distant from who you really are due to your interactions on social media. And it's fucking wild. But like, the thing is, is like there's, I feel like I gain more by knowing those authors mm-hmm. and their experiences and then reading their books. And like, I feel like Anne Rice, like you, I feel like have done some research on her and like, you are more aware of her books. And so when you say that, I'm just like, I am so curious more about Anne Rice because I'm like, her books are so fucking wild and like the whole journey through Catholicism in and out and in and out and the vampires and how they followed her. It's just, I just, I have so many questions and it makes me wonder so much. 
Yeah, it was actually interesting because, like, I have known about her for a long time, but it wasn't until I kind of put the list down and I started putting things up against the timeline that I was like, oh, this makes way more sense. Not that I didn't enjoy just reading the books as they mm-hmm. came, but it's kind of looking at it from almost like a like a after she's passed away and kind of going back and going like, oh, now it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. She was kind of telling us in certain passages in certain ways, like, hey, I'm having issues with thinking about, like, life after death. And, like, am I doing the right thing? Like, it's fascinating, right? Uh, yeah. It's like in a lot of works that there's always that one true moment where it's not even the character speaking, it's the author speaking. And it's like, this is how I feel. Like, I'm angry or I'm sad or I'm, you know, yeah. this is what's going on. There was a line, and I just saw this on TikTok last night, TikTok. which is TikTok, TikTok. <laughs> which made me think of it, which is a line from uh, Paper Towns, which is, like, I'm set up thinking it with my memory, but it's like leaving is the hardest thing in the world until you do it. And then it's the easiest. And it's like that, like it's such a simple sentence, but it's like, it's like, you don't really like, it's like always like, Oh, going to college is going to be so hard. Starting a new job is going to be so hard. Doing this is going to be so hard. And then like, once you've like gone over that mental hurdle, it's not as hard as you think it's going to be. And then it's going to be great. I mean, and that's not for everyone or every situation, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, that line in itself it's like it's a single passage that like after years i think about to this day it's, it's a moment of truth yeah so. and it feels so much more it feels like john green it doesn't feel like that character it's like that character truly is like so often more than not then characters are just mouthpieces for the author in different ways yeah but yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's actually very true Fascinating. Sometimes, sometimes people just write, want to write about horny vampires. I mean, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. But <laughs> a also, lot of, yeah. a lot of her work is so sensual and erotic. It is like, and even she was just like, you know, she was even open about it. Like when she turned like, you know, a uh, young adult, she was like, I want to go have sex and experience eroticism. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, some of her books are so wild that I have to wonder, like, what? What did you experience in real life? I want, I, I, here's the thing. I want to read these books because I have a person who've dived deeper than I would ever willingly admit publicly into that side of fan fiction. And cool. also is an asexual. So it like doesn't make any sense. So it's like, I mean, I think that you can be all the things. Like there's a part of me that can't imagine Anne Rice doing all of this stuff, but like thinking about it, but maybe she did do it. Who knows? Like it's. Who here thinks she totally wasn't an orgy? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Like, it's like, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's like when Maybe people. in the San Francisco, I mean, like. San Francisco? And, yeah, San Francisco, Stan Rice, uh, late 60s, early 70s, there was a lot of acid. Uh, I mean, it was. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like, I remember I saw some article. not an orgy then. Well, funness. Yeah, it's like, I saw this article or something about how people were surprised that Harry Styles was like caught leaving a sex club and i was like you look at harry styles and you're surprised like are we are we looking at the same fucking person are we listening to the same songs because that is a man that's just having a good time yeah and like okay okay sorry i'm gonna do this for once off tangent did you guys see shania twain touch harry styles harry's chest like holy shit like i think he shut down for a moment he was so surprised like the the difference between like night one versus night two shania twain tossing his chest was so different. It oh. was it was incredible. I need to see this because I don't know. Oh, I'll show you after this. Actually, it, is, it is an experience watching it. So here's two things. One, first night of first weekend of Coachella, Harry Styles having a good time. His band, like between transitions of song, his band start playing 
a couple notes of, man, I feel like a woman. And everybody knows that. And then the pause. And then it's Harry Styles like pretending he has no idea what's going on. And then his band hits it again. And then he's like, what? And like, you know, you know, he, the audacity of that man. And then Shania rises from the floor. Oh my God. <laughs> Wait, I thought she came downstairs. No, she was behind him on uh, the platform. So he, she comes I'll be up. honest. I haven't even seen that part. I just see this oh, chest touching it's part incredible. so many times. And you see him being confused. And then you see Shania Twain rise and then start singing, man, I feel like a woman. And then come downstairs and then no, that's when she starts like uh, feeling up on Harry Styles and like it, it, fucking no, flashing it's just, the audience. It's not feeling. It's, oh. She does a little skirt up thing, but no, no, it's just one single. Well, she does. I think t- touches him more than. But there's one specific moment where she just touches his chest, and you, he's wearing a low cut rainbow sequence jumpsuit. For the record, like imagine being touched by Shania Twain. He just shut down for a split second. For a split mm-hmm. second, but you can totally see it happen. Oh, oh my god! And then god. the next weekend was him <laughs> and Lizzo, Harry Styles, EXE, exactly. It was. If you have not looked at video, I need to see this. I need it's a also, moment. also Harry is totally into older women, so she is exactly his type. Harry is into anyone. That's why I was like, no, no, how he's are specifically you into older women. He has dated so many older women who are at mm. least ten years older than him. When he was seventeen, he had dated two women in their thirties. Hell yeah. The, his current girlfriend, 10 years Although older than me. That sounds like grooming. Too young. Oh, no, that's fucked up. But we won't get into that today. But we can talk about it later. All right. We should have a Harry t- episode. Anyways, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, sorry. It really does just shut down for a split second. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, she does this thing, and he just goes. <laughs> it's, it is uh, so yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, Jared, remind me to just go ahead and uh, post a, like, yeah. a link to the Lydia. <laughs> We'll put that. We'll put that in that tweet. I, I love Taryn. I missed you. Uh, we missed you so much. We, we are not OT three. It's it should be OT four. So at this point, <laughs> OT three and Taryn. Um, okay, so getting us back on. Uh, although I do love the Harry Styles <laughs> tidbit there. That was great. Uh, uh, talking about Taylor's body. That's nineteen ninety two. Uh, Anne Rice is still in her heyday. Uh, uh, we have Lasher and Taltos, 1993, 1984. This is more witching hour stuff. I'll be real honest. This shit it cray. Uh, demons, uh, babies that walk immediately. They grow up into other demons, weird humanoid things, witches, uh, family curses. I can't really go too much more into that. Uh, 1995, Memnock the Devil. Here, I star this because I remember reading this and being like, what the fuck? Like, it was <laughs> such a... Uh, a book that blew my mind at the time. Um, basically, uh, Lestat's really into killing the evildoer, so he's like hunting all these, um, you know, mobsters, whatever. He kills one. Uh, this dude's ghost comes back <laughs> and is like, "Can you take care of my daughter? She's a TV ev- evangelist, evangelist, Evan- evangelist, 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 TV evangelist." Her name's Dora. Uh, I don't want her to know that I was such a bad she dad, so uh, take care of her. And I guess Lestat's so freaked out, he's like, okay. And then he realizes while he's doing that that he's being hunted by something. And then you find out it's the devil, whose actual name is Memnock. Um, so then Memnock takes him on a tour of heaven, hell, purgatory, all the things. And it was, it was crazy, let me tell you. Uh, and then basically comes to Lestat and goes, hey, I'm not the bad guy here. I need you to join me against God. Um, wait, hold on, hold on. I got my notes here. I need you to join me against God. 
as his adversary, he's, uh, I'm not really evil. I'm actually really helping souls. And after taking the tour, Lestat has this revelation. And this is one of the first times I see actual Jesus in an anarized uh, film. He sees Christ's crucifixion. Lestat has a vision of Christ's crucifixion. Christ offers Lestat his blood. He's a vampire. He drinks the blood of Christ, which I'm like, it's crazy to me. Um, and then he gives him a veil to like wipe up the blood off his face. It's Veronica's veil. Um, and he gives it to Lestat. Uh, Lestat ends up telling Memnock, I think you and God are both crazy. I want nothing to do with your madness. Memnock then tries to take the veil. Lestat runs away in the fight. Uh, the devil takes his left eye. That was interesting. Hmm. He flees hell, goes to earth. Basically, everybody is just like, what just happened to you? But the veil, um, Dora, the TV ev- ev- evangelist, evangelist. Well, I can't. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> um, basically, she takes it and starts creating these new religious movements. Uh, Armand, boy toy vampire, uh, is so moved he goes into the sun and immolates himself. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I retract my. <laughs> and then uh, Wait, he's just so hot. He's on fire. <laughs> um, he's. It, it, I mean, it, it fits with Armand's story, to be fair, because Armand was super into Jesus. Yeah, I have one question, and mm. I think it's very important. Was Jesus hot? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Jesus was hot in this. I do remember. I, um, Anne Rice does not write non-hot characters. Jesus was hot in this, and in her future writings, Jesus was also hot, still weird. So wait, pause. Before we get too far away about the from the devil, I, again, I'm going to quote TikTok again. I saw TikTok that kind of fucked me up, and it was just somebody going, Jesus is torture, not Jesus, fuck. The devil is, the devil is, and Lucifer, like, torturing and punishing the bad people. So how are they bad? And you're just like, I don't like that. Yeah, it's it's it, basically in this, they really, she really goes into this philosophical like thought process of what is good and what is evil, and are they both just madnesses on either side of the coin? Reminds me of Supernatural. And yeah, a little bit. I, a little Supernatural bit. really gets into like, Jesus hey, more than uh, you would do you guys think. remember that months and months, I think almost a year after Supernatural ended, they still managed to queer bait us? Don't. <laughs> we're not talking about <laughs> Sorry. it. Sorry. I can't believe you missed it. Like, there was a moment at work where we were all sitting at our desk quietly, and, and I just started giggling. And Steffi goes, what? And I go, did you see what happened with Misha Collins? And Steffi goes, no, no, yeah. No, I saw the first part, not the second part. Yeah, I know. Steffi goes, yeah, I saw it. I already retweeted it. I go, no, no, but did you see the one that just came out? Because I It was saw literally it. 11 minutes out. How was I supposed to see it? I was doing my I job. Believe it or time. not, I do work. I also work. I was on, somebody sent me a DM on Instagram, and I was on Instagram so reading Jesus the DM. So Jesus is hot. So Jesus is hot. Uh, <laughs> going back to Mad Knock the Devil. All right. Uh, Sarah's grabbing another uh, busy. Maybe, no. Um, okay. Know. So uh, that's 1995, but you can kind of already see here, like it's already fascinating what she's thinking about, like this whole God thing. Um, she has a bunch of other books that come out, Servant of Bones, The Violin, Pandora, which is an amazing book, by the way. Uh, I forgot how much I love the vampire Pandora. She's a bad bitch. Uh, the vampire Mond, we get the boy toy experience, and he is a boy toy, let me tell you. Lolita, Ooh. shit as fuck. Um, Ooh. Uh, we get Vittorio the vampire, Merrick, who has a weird love affair with Louis, and that's fun. Um, and then in uh, 2001, she has Blood and Gold, uh, which is Marius's daddy vampire. Awesome. Pandora and Marius have this amazing vampire love story that I forgot about until I did my research again, and I was like, oh yeah, like it's 
really dramatic and lovely. Um, 2001, right? Another big year for Anne Rice because this, uh, on April 7th, 2001, she has her damning uh, fan fiction post where, if I can find it, she basically says, I do not allow fan fiction. The characters are copyrighted. It upsets me terribly to even think about fan fiction with my characters. I advise my readers to write your own original stories with your own characters. It is absolutely essential that you respect my wishes. If you... Here's the thing. Now that I now know more about Anne Rice, her visceral reaction of these characters that she views as part of herself does make a little bit more sense. Because I feel like she definitely put a lot of herself in there. But also, is it right? No. She also basically wrote religious fan fiction. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, oh, I kind of like now knowing a little bit more, it makes a little bit more sense because I thought she was just a crazy vampire lady who was really protective (laughs) of her vampires. But like it's that aspect of it. It is. It is interesting, right? Like once you kind of know a little bit of the history and how emotional she gets and how deeply embedded she was into her lore. Kind of makes sense that she didn't like people just having Lestat do things Lestat wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. That being said, also at the time that you know, uh, two thousand one, uh, this is fanfiction.net big time. Um, honestly, people were really scared. She sent, I mean, lawyers apparently came after people. Uh, there were all these rumors. I, I think it, it actually happened, but I bet they had to sign NDAs to settle. Like probably. I would put money down. Um, but also at this time is about and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is about time uh, things start kind of going online for like online works and things like that. What year is this? 2001. 2001. Oh, for sure. So potentially she was worried about copyright. Yeah, mm. but it was it was it was not just that. It was like music and everything. Like notoriously, uh, what was it? Metallica also fought like things like Netscape because they didn't want their music on there. The web was becoming a thing. Yeah. And it was becoming it was so easy I to wonder, share things when before. It I wasn't. wonder if that's the like. I, this is just because people talk so much about Web 3.0 now. I wonder if 2001 was about the transition between Web 1.0 and Web 2.0. Because maybe, like, that's part of it. It's like, mm. when you think about it, I don't know. Maybe there was, like, a transition happening, and she came on on the side of, do not post my stuff. And uh, so a lot of, uh, and right, I mean, at this point, like, the, 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 the fandom is huge. People are, they love this shit. Like, Interview with the Vampire and Queen of the Dam were, like, Number one bestsellers on the New York Times. Mm-hmm. You have to imagine there was fan fiction out there, but you don't see it. So people either like, took, I even remember like, um, you know, there was like things like email these and like don't put them online. People will come after you. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. I mean, not that fan fiction wasn't made, but it it went underground for sure. So what I saw is like what I was kind of mentioning earlier is on Live Journal you can have locked groups. Mm. And if you had things that you didn't want people to see, you wouldn't go to these locked groups. And you'll put, like, disclaimers, like, we're not sharing anything. We're just talking about stuff. But then you go to the groups, and they were totally just sharing, like, uh, downloadable videos and fan fiction and stuff like that. It's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. it was like, it, it went underground. That's what uh, I say. It went underground. I, I will say, that's how I saw a lot of Doctor Who back in the day. <laughs> Dying. So that's her fan fiction. But that's 2001. In 2002, her husband, Stan Rice, dies. Uh, he was the atheist. He was the one that brought her out. Uh, Blackwood Farm is also uh, released in 2002. In 2003, Blood Canticle releases. But in 2004, Blood Canticle is probably the last. And Blackwood Farm and Blood Canticle are basically where the Vampire di- uh, uh, the Vampire Chronicles and the witching series, uh, the Mayfair Witchers, come together and create. T- like, they are in both series. 
Both mm. of these books are in both series. Right. They are crossover. The crossover Ooh. fan fiction. Um, in 2004, she leaves New Orleans because she can't stay there anymore without her husband. That's fair. In 2005, Christ the Lord out of Egypt releases. She has gone back to Catholicism. Interesting. It is interesting when she switched it. Um, and <laughs> Christ the Lord out of Egypt is a telling of Jesus when he's a kid. Uh, it's definitely sexy Jesus. So- she, it's Anne Rice writing Jesus. The story. Uh, she does a really good job of, uh, and she's always has done a really good job of going back into history, looking up all the works, making sure it makes sense in the time and place. She's almost a historical writer. So she definitely fiction. wrote Bible fan fiction. Bible fan fiction. Yeah. Like that is definite. Like, mm hmm. Um, 2005, Christ the Lord out of Egypt comes out. Uh, at one point, they were going to make a movie. Uh, I think it got released. I can't be sure. Um, Christ the Lord, The Road to Kana comes out in 2008. Called Out of Darkness, A Spiritual Confession, 2008. Also, that is uh, one of her autobiographies. Oh. Angel Time, I've talked about angels. Of Love and Evil uh, came out in 2010. Another this angel is a book. bad book cover. The cover for Christ the Lord out of Egypt is awful. It is one of the worst book covers I've seen in my entire life. And I'm very disappointed at Anne Rice because she's better well, it, than this. It's an I more of like an iconic, like an old school iconic view of what Jesus would have looked like. I mean, it's more the fact that it's just a it's white simplest- page. Look, I, I I get what she was going for. More simplistic, different audience. She's not trying to show how horny she is. Maybe. All right. 2010, right? Of Love and Evil comes out in July 2010. She stopped being a Christian. That movie was released on March 11, 2016. Huh. Okay, so it was from her original. So it, it was years later after she had already stopped being a Christian. But basically, uh, she left the Roman Catholic Church pretty um, openly. Basically, uh, one of the things she said was it. she just doesn't like the church itself. I think she's still a Christian, but there was a lot of things going on that she had issues with, social issues that were beginning to push upon her ideas of what was right and wrong, and so she did not want to be a part of the Catholic Church anymore. It was probably gossip. It's usually gossip. I, I think it might have been a little... Her her son is gay, so uh, I have a feeling it might have been something more along that lines, but to be fair, she's kind of private. So, um, 2012, The Wolf Gift. Werewolves. We're back, <laughs> baby. We're back. Back to werewolves. Uh, 2013, The Wolves of Midwinter. 2014, the Prince Lestat. She came, She brought back Lestat. 2015, Beauty's Kingdom. We back to the sadomasochism, y'all. Wait, pause. <laughs> she, like, 15 years later came back to the Sleeping Beauty story? I think it's more than 15. So it came out in 2015, and her last one was uh, 1985. I 30 years. As a fan, like, if I was a consumer of that media... Oh my God, I would be so <laughs> mad. I would refuse to read it on principle. Fuck off. Yeah. I don't know. I would feel the opposite. It's like, holy shit, we she back. finally did it. We're back. <laughs> um, 2016, Prince Lestat in the realms of Atlantis. Lestat means aliens. Okay. Uh, 2017, Ramsey's the Damned, the Passion of Cleopatra. Remember the mummy? It came back. 30 years later, she wrote another novel about it. I I have comments about this resurgence of Anne Rice. I would argue that it was not a resurgence. It was her grasping at straws, because that's what it feels like. Well, 
I, I'll be honest, I haven't read some of these, um, but I'm really interested in reading Ramsey the Damned. I will tell you if it was good or not. That first one was fantastic. Uh, then we have The Goat Blo- the Blood Communion, A Tale of Prince Lestat in 2018, and then in 2022, The Reign of Orisis, which is the last of the Ramses, and then that's it. So, interesting tale of Anne Rice from the vampires originally to all the BDSM to philosophical debates about Jesus and what it means to be good and evil to going back to Catholicism, Jesus fan fiction to back to everything else. Um, one of her quotes that I'm going to leave you with is, I think I'm always seeking redemption. The vampires represent those of us in society who feel damned and I'm always seeking a way for them and those of us who identify with them to be saved. Interesting. Yeah. It's such a good quote. Is that a quote from her or mm-hmm. a quote from the books? Yep, it's a quote from her that she had in 2014. I, it's such an interesting, interesting thought. I feel like we need to go buy her house and have a seance. No. I refuse. We are not buying Anne Rice's house in so many reasons. Listeners, if you want us to buy Anne <laughs> Rice's No, Anne shut Rice's. the fuck up. Um, I know that was a lot, but she is a fascinating, interesting woman. Uh, she wrote for 40 years. She has 38 novels. Fucking wild. That's Uh, so much writing. There's so much culture and fandom and also like thing with the fan fiction and everything. Oh, also just to, uh, keep everybody up to date about her and the fan fiction is in 2001, she came back. She has stopped targeting fans for their fan works. In an interview, she said, I got upset 20 years ago because I thought it would block me. However, it's been very easy to avoid reading any. So live and let live. If I were a young writer, I'd want to own my own ideas. But maybe fan fiction is a transitional phase. Whatever gets you there, gets you there. That's really nice. That is really nice. Also, I will say this about, there was something you said that made me want to, the avoiding fan fiction there's like because tiktok and i keep bringing it up but it's so many authors nowadays are on tiktok and one of them said recently that they are told by their publisher they're not around, allowed to read fan fiction about their work yeah that's, what sir you work in production you know you were not supposed to well i i do but i don't produce anything <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know that yeah no it's because it could influence the way that you create your work and they could open you to like lawsuits you and could be plays. sued by the fan fiction people saying you stole my idea wow yeah. um i still remember a fan was harassing me because i wouldn't submit a ruby fanfic that he wanted to get to uh to the back row it, it, you just gotta avoid it um, but that's why a lot of people are like, please don't send us scripts. Please don't send us fan fiction. We can literally, legally not read it. Oh, dang. Yeah. I've been reading the script too much. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I found that out and I was so disheartened. But then I also thought if you finish a series, then you can read the fan fiction. Because there's an author, uh, Katie Roberts, I think she's on fanfiction.net and stuff. But she's actively writing fan fiction for her like continuation stories. And then she's putting on AO3. I was like, that's so fun. Like, that's like, she's like, I don't need, she's like, this is just a little one shot I wanted of these people. And then she's also writing My Hero Academia fan fiction. And I just <laughs> love the fact that those are both existing. That's beautiful. Like, and she's an erotica art uh, author. Um, she did like the, um, 
the Neon God series. Okay. Yeah, and then the uh, the Wicked Villains, if you know that series. But she, her finding fan fiction and her documenting it on TikTok was the funnest thing. But also, like, she writes fan fiction about the gods. So, like, her books are about the gods. So, like, ain't no one gonna get too mad. What I'm gonna say, if you find joy in writing fan fiction, do it. If you want to do original stuff, do it. Just do what makes you happy. Yeah. I am gonna this building off of what Stephanie said. This is not about vampires. This is not the last thought. But okay, (laughs) um, something Stephanie said. It's because. Uh, and I said this before the podcast started, but I'm on deep uh, Heartstopper brain rot. Um, I watched all of it last night and then read all of the comics last night as well. And then today I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Barnes & Noble because there's also written works. And I found out that Heartstoppers is like the third installment of the series because this author, she published a book uh called like solitaire are you telling me this because i stopped you before no it's because i think it's interesting for the audience to know is that it's more like the fan fiction thing it's like so there's this person she wrote a book solitaire about a girl and the girl had a brother seemed like the audience cared more about the brother so then she wrote a book about the brother Mm -hmm. and his boyfriend and then she's like well how'd they meet and so then she wrote and drew heartstopper and Heartstopper is what's been picked up. And so it's like, even of your own work, you can write your own fan fiction. I feel like Anne Rice is a very good example of mm-hmm. that. Where she wrote she her own fan fiction. wrote her story and then she goes, yeah, I, won't know. I, I want to know more about I this story. I like Sarah just wanted to talk about Heartstopper. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> she to but it was thing. relevant to the story and conversation <laughs> okay, okay, this okay, moment. Okay, so we do need to wrap up. Mm. Uh, I'll start with Sarah. Final words. My final words are Anne Rice... 38 books is fucking impressive mm-hmm. and you cannot get over that and you cannot get over the cultural impact she has had on so many people and uh, and honestly entire genres and entire like uh movements and i think that aunt rice despite her fan fiction backlog is somebody i hope that we forever hear about because she deserves it and that's her legacy is that she was an incredible author and she went through struggles and tri- tribulations and she came out on top uh, my final word is I wish more people knew about her updated take on fan fiction. I think people would appreciate her a lot more if they knew that. Mm. Um, and I'm really curious a little bit more about her, so I'm probably going to do a Wikipedia nosedive after this. Yeah. She is a fascinating lady. Um, yeah, so I obviously am a fan of Anne Rice. I've always thought she was so unknowable until I started doing some of this research, and then I realized that maybe... She's just kind of like all of us um, trying to figure it out, trying to reconcile uh, being alive and what that means. Um, One of my quotes I'm going to leave you guys with is from the Vampire Lestat, and it's one of my favorite ones, is, none of us really changes over time. We only become fully what we are. Aw, that's really sweet. It is really sweet, but it also is a little scary too, right? <laughs> it, it's it, truly. I guess it depends on where you are in life and how you're going to yeah. take that quote. Exactly, it's as always a, changing. As a 26 year old, nah, nah. With that, uh, thank you so much, Ashley. That was great. Uh, we want to thank you, the audience, for being here with us. Uh, we will be back next week on schedule. <laughs> we back. We back. We back. We back. back. We're sorry yeah. about that. Life got in the way, but uh, we're back on track. Jaren's here. Um, if you are leaving reviews or rating us on any of the platforms, we just want to thank you so freaking much. You guys are so nice. It makes our hearts sing. Yes. We read um, a few of them and it was like, it was so lovely. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I can't stress what those reviews and ratings mean to us. Um, but yeah, please let your friends and family know about if you like this show. Let us know what you want to hear about in the future and let us know what your take on Anne Rice is in the comments or on any social media site that you use. 
Um, with that, we will see you next week. We will see you next week, everybody. All right, bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.